Welcome to the weekly podcast of Upper Room Christian Fellowship in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for listening. Back in Romans. Aren't you excited? We're only going to look at two verses today, so we we got to go back and kind of grab some momentum here. But if you would... You'd stand for the reading of the Word of God. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. The Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word, for your word is true. And your word is a cleansing agent as your spirit teaches us and ministers to us. Lord, my prayer is for all of us is to grab hold of this truth this morning. That we would find the joy and the freedom of being in Christ. Being in the spirit. Bless this time, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now. In chapter 6, we learn something. You died with Christ. Your old man does not live anymore. Dead. You're to reckon that person dead. But the problem is, chapter 7, we discovered you just can't do it. Not on your own. But, as we just read in verse 1, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No more. You're free. You're free from the guilt, the shame, the sorrow, the pain. In verses 2 through 4, we learn that Christ has come in the likeness of sinful flesh, condemning and bringing to death the old sinful nature, forgiving our sins and freeing us from sin and death that the newness of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law that now our life is centered in Christ. In verses 5 through 8, we learn that Christ-centered life is one who sets mind to live in harmony and obedience to pleasing God's Spirit, which brings forth true life and peace 
versus the one that lives in the flesh that brings forth strife and shame. Verses 9 through 11, we learn that we have the Spirit of God living at home in us, working out His righteousness in us, giving us the power to live life abundantly. Therefore, we are not debtors to our flesh. But now we have to divine something. What is the flesh? It's the self-life. It has only brought forth misery, sorrow, unrest, discontent, failure, sin, separation from God, judgment, condemnation, and death. So why keep trying to please it like the slave driver it is? And that word according means to go along with, to be on the way with, as if you're holding its hand. Come on, self. Let's go. Now remember, we learn something here in Romans. Three things I want to draw your attention to. The flesh life in Romans 3.20, it says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. None. In Romans 7.18, we learn, For I know that in me that is in my flesh, myself, nothing good dwells. For to will is present, but how to perform what is good I do not find. And then in this chapter... Verse 8, we read, So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Period. So let's go a little further. What is the self-life? Are you ready? Now, this is just a few. The self-life includes self-seeking, self-indulgence, self-defense, self-righteousness, self-pity, self-confidence, self-suffering, self admiration, self-love, to name a few. There is nothing in you that can please God. And yet somehow, some way, some reason, we just take the hands of ourselves and say, dust ourselves off, Look at ourselves and say, there's got to be something good here. It's my sense of humor. It's good. Look at me, I'm funny. No, look at me, I'm good looking. No, look at me, I'm intelligent. Look at me, I'm wearing good shoes. Something in me, you have to look at me, you have to confirm it. You have to say, hey, there goes a good guy, a good girl. Maybe it's my hair. Maybe it's that I just trunned my, my fingernails. Don't you hate that when they get too long? You always tell when you start scratching your face and it's not just scratching the itch, but you get scratched too. But there's got to be something in me. That's what we all long for. Maybe it's that you're good at a game, a board game. Quirkle. Kevin, it's not going to get you anywhere. Anything. We try to grab ourselves and say, I'm okay. Why? Because we have to live with ourselves. And we think that's life. That that's life abundant. Look at verse 13. 
For if you live according to the self, you will die. What does that mean? Well, if you continue in sin, if you turn your back on Christ, then it can mean damnation. But I don't think that's exactly what he means here. It means a shorter life. See, if you practice sin, then sin can bite you. Whether it's through, um, through sexual sin, sexual disease, or even something as simple as being so stressed out that you have ulcers and things can happen inside your body. But life is shorter. Now, it's interesting too, is that not only that, but it separates us from the life that, like I just said, that Christ wants to give us. You know, God wants to give each of us an abundant life in Christ. No matter where you sit, no matter what you do, no matter who you are, God's called you. God chose you. Remember this. You sought Him because He sought you first. You are called by name. You are His. He loves us so much that He tells us to come as we are, but He loves us so much that He doesn't want us to stay as we are. He wants us to learn what it means to live abundantly in Christ. Told you to put it this way. Self is the opaque veil that hides the face of God from us. Let that sink in. See, when we bring up our self, it's like we're saying, hold on God, I don't need to reflect you right now because I'm shining pretty good right now. And what that does is it separates us from communion with God. It separates us from really the desire that we desire more than anything, and that is fellowship with Him. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds, the works of the body that houses the flesh, you will live. So what's the secret? Well, it's just like everything. I can't. Self can't do it. Have you learned that? Boy, I'm years old and I'm still growing in this because, again, it's something that will continue to battle with self. But it's simple. What I'm ready to share with you is nothing new. And if it was new, then it's probably not true. But this is true. That's why it's not new. This is something for us to hear. See, I can't, but Christ can. See, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, just as we were singing, and gave Himself for me. And 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I know. It seems... Simple, but it's still so very hard. Go back with me. Many years. 
There was a high priest, his name was Eli. He had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. were not good sons. In fact, scripture puts it this way in describing them. They were corrupt and they did not know the Lord. Which is pretty bad because they were the high priest's sons. And they helped him minister. Later on it says, Therefore if the sin of the young men, these two boys, was very great before the Lord. For them, the men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Here they were priests and they would abhor the offering of the Lord. In fact, what they would do is they would go around and say, Hey, what's your offering? Yeah, I'll take that T-bone. Oh, wait a minute, man. That's first got to be dedicated. Oh, no, I'll take it. Wait a minute, don't cook that. <laughs> I don't want it boiled. I want to barbecue it. No, let me boil No, I'm going to barbecue. They would take the meat, the quality meat that they wanted to feed themselves. But not only that, they would also do indiscretions with young women that would be standing at the tent meeting door. They were horrible. And the problem was, Eli, I picture Eli as just one of those easygoing dads. Oh, he he did understand who God was. But he couldn't stand up to his own kids. Oh, what to do? You know boys. Boys will be boys. So these guys always took the initiative on themselves. Well, what happened was the Philistines was fighting against Israel. And Israel lost this great big battle. So the Israelites said to themselves, Hey, you know what we need? We need the ark of the covenant, the presence of God. So there comes the boys, Hophni and Phinehas, carrying the ark into battle. The Philistines go, uh-oh. The God, the God that delivered them from the Egyptians, is now in their camp. Philistines, watch yourselves. You better fight twice as hard now or we're toast. Well, they did fight twice as hard. Not only did the two boys die, but they captured the ark of the covenant. Remember something. The Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. Now, what do they do? They say, well, our God is superior than the God of Israel. So we'll put him in with our God, Dagon, so that he may pay homage to our God. Now, there's questions about what this God actually looked like. Some think that he was kind of half fish, half man. Uh, there's some that say, no, that's not it. But still, uh, an idol was there, a figure of a man. So they put him in there with them, the Ark of the Covenant. The next morning they go over there, guess what? Dagon actually fell down and was worshipping the Ark. Again, representing the presence of God. Don't lose that. And they said, oh, hey, set them up. Get them up there. Maybe they wedged it a little better. The next morning they get up. Not only did Dagon fall over, but his head broke off and his hands broke off. Now, the Philistines go, hmm, this isn't good because there was also a plague in the camp or the town. And they thought, we better do something about this. Instead of paying homage and respect and worshiping the true living God, they said, hmm, which God shall we keep? Our false God or the true living God? I know we must keep our fish God. And they sent the Ark of the Covenant off in oxes that have never 
pulled in a cart to see where it go. To see, and they said to themselves, if it goes to the camp, if it goes to the Israelites, we'll know that God is here. If it doesn't, and they just walk around circles, we'll know, well, this was just a coincidence. Guess what? The oxes went straight to Israel. Okay, you're going, oh, that's a great story. It's interesting. Now I know something about Dagon. But what does that have to do with me? Ready? It's so simple. And yet, it's so profound. It's so easy, and yet it's so hard. What is it? See, wherever God is, everything else must either bow down or flee. You with me? Either bow down or flee. How does that describe us? For if it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Let me break this down. Where I said that where God is, you either bow down or flee. I always use this, especially if you were in the class with me, kids. I would say it's like God is so holy that darkness must flee when he enters the room. It's like turning on a light switch. And I would say, what happens to the darkness? They say it disappears. That's exactly how God is. Where God is, evil must dissipate. It must disappear. It must flee from Him. Are you starting to get this? Now, Jesus has come into our hearts, our darkened hearts, and shined the lights. Everything must now flee except for one thing. Now, each day, each moment, we have a choice whether to bow the knee to Him or flee with ourselves. It's which hand are we holding on to? Is it me and still trying to find something good in me? Or is it saying, I am His. And He is mine. Um, it's interesting. John put it this way. If you would, turn with me to First John. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Because you can just feel His passion. And really the purpose that He's writing it. First John chapter 1. Look at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you. That God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all 
sin. I have fellowship with Christ because of what Christ has done in shining on me. Now he tells me, to come alongside with me and walk with me. And let my light shine into your crevice of your heart. And every time that it reveals something, acknowledge it. Or if we kept going, let's do verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David, David, search me, O God. Try me. Know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Me and you, we have this decision to make every day. And as we understand this, that Christ's love shines upon us. And if you will, beseeching us to walk with Him. Even though it's painful. Why? Because let me tell you this from someone. See, this is the thing about being a pastor. I mean, you always think, oh, he gets to see. I'm the one that always gets to trip and fall and learn from mistakes. That's what I get to do. Then I get to share with you. Point is, is that it's always about me. It comes up all the time. Me. I want. I need. Hear my cry. And what he's telling us is this. Take my hand and trust me because I'm not done with you. You're going to see things in the flesh that is horrible. Don't worry. I died for you. And I love you. There's nothing in you that I do not know about. But you're going to have to stop looking to yourself and only me. That when you discover something, I already know it. Confess it to me. Let's stay in fellowship face to face. Let my my light continually shine upon you. If you have a sin that is disturbing you, if you have trouble with it, understand something. I'm working through you with this. And what it really comes down to, who are you going to bow the knee to? Yourself and your flesh, your sin, or me? Your self-pity or me? Your self-delusion or me? Your self-discouragement or me? Your self-defense or me? Your self-love or me? Wow, that song is wrong. The greatest love isn't the love I have for myself. It's the understanding that God already loves me. It's accepting that love but also accepting His loving hand as just as you discipline your children or how you admonish them or teach them or instruct them, He does to a greater, so much greater love level. He's taking His hand and saying, okay, whatever it is, whatever you show me, I want to lay it at the altar Now we can begin to understand what it means, because I know you've heard this a lot. I've taught it here. And that's the sacrificial life. That's dying to self and living for Christ. If you will, that's it in a nutshell. It's no more me. It's 
only Him. And then when I rise up and I show myself, then I confess it. I ask for forgiveness. And I keep going. Understanding again that it's either bow down and worship Him, or if you will, worship self. How's that getting you? So when temptation comes, what do I do? Worship. See how worship is so important? You can never worship too much. Do you know I worship so hard? Because your affection and your attention is going somewhere else and it's not on you. And now we begin to understand why God desires our worship. It's not that His ego desires it. It's best for us. Because as we worship, our face is shining on His, that His face may shine on ours. And guess what happens? The Spirit does His work. A little more chisel off this. A little more growth here. A little more like Christ. I got your attention. And that's why the Word is so important. That's why as we go through this, we're learning something. Again, the Spirit takes it, chisels and adds, chisels and adds. So that who we are, the self that we desire to be, will be complete, but not by your hands, not by mine. It's by His perfect hands. And being confident of this very thing that He has begun this good work is going to complete it. It's going to be finished. How will we be surprised we get there? Done! No half-baked people in heaven. Thank God. Nobody with just half Christ. No, no. You'll be full and complete in Christ. That we don't have to go over and, and, and wonder how do I look what do they think of me? I don't think they like me over there. Can you imagine actually going into groups like Paul and, and Peter and John and saying, Hi guys! And they say hi back to you. They're not saying, Oh, who's this bozo? Because you will be perfect and you won't even think about yourself anymore. That you'll be complete and whole. You'll be finished. And there's a pulpit behind me. I told you it was simple. But will we do it? Will we turn that off and turn to Him? Will we quiet those voices by singing with our voice? we stop sitting in darkness and turn on His light. We stop trying to prop up this dead person and let Him chisel. Let Him add. Let Him mold. Let Him shape. See, it hits us right 
in the hardest place. Because since you were just a little baby, you would cry out, just as I did, me. Me. You show me the path of life. See, in your presence, it's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's all I got. You stand with me, and then I'm going to have you sit again. Let's pray. Father, there's not one of us that have not failed in this time and time again. This world preaches self. We're taught self from an early age. We practice self from the very earliest of age. This goes counterintuitive to us in our flesh. But if we count the works and deeds of our flesh dead, now there's newness of life. My prayer for each of us, Lord, is to take this to heart and to put it to practice, to stay in fellowship with you, to choose to worship you and not self, to put you first always in our lives, Lord, no matter how hard it is, knowing that you will help us, Lord, to understand it, to practice it, to live it, but also to walk in it. Because again, it reveals us walking with you. My prayer is for each of us, Lord, that you would deliver us from that struggle of self. Whether it's a certain sin, or maybe just a certain selfish act, or maybe it's just a constant dwelling on self. Lord, each of us has a struggle with this self. And my prayer is that you would minister to each of us and what to to leave behind and to grab on your hand and to worship you. As we come to the communion service, Lord, help us to be reflective, help us to be open, and help us to receive. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.